Take your Bibles this morning to John chapter number 11. John chapter number 11. Three weeks ago, we started a series entitled, I Am the Resurrection and the Life. And I had seen in John chapter 11, different perspectives that beheld the raising of Lazarus from the dead, and it meant different things to each and every one of them. Two, I guess, uh, three weeks ago, we studied the students of the resurrection and the life, because as Jesus heard the news that Lazarus had died or was sick and dying, he told his disciples, and I am glad that I am not there for your sakes. What an odd thing for Jesus to say, I'm glad that my friend is sick and dying and I'm glad I'm not there. And he said, I'm glad I'm not there to the intent that you may believe. He was trying to teach his disciples something through this story and through this event. Now friend, I want you to know this. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, adversity does not mean that God has given up on you. When you come up against things in your life, that does not mean that God has abandoned you or in some way uh, discarded you. It means that He is trying to teach you things in that moment in time. And oftentimes I think He's trying to teach you how close He is willing to get to you and how much He's willing to help you. We talked three weeks ago about the students of the resurrection and the life. And then last week we talked about the sisters of the resurrection and the life. You see, the entire narrative of John chapter 11 is that of Lazarus, his sisters, Mary and Martha. Jesus loved this family and and Lazarus was sick and dying and Mary and Martha sent a messenger to Jesus. And and when Jesus arrived, he arrived after Lazarus had been dead four days. Four days. They'd sent a messenger and hoped that he'd get there in time, but he didn't. He died and four days later, Jesus finally arrives on scene. And these two women, both of them handled the situation differently. And by the way, we all handle things differently when we come into hard times of life. But they both come to Jesus and ask the very same question. And they they say, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Have you ever gone through something in your life where you look back and you say, you know what? If that had been different, then this would have been better. Man, sometimes you go through stuff like that. And so Jesus is trying to help these sisters in this moment in time as they deal with the tragic loss of their brother. This week we come to not the students of the resurrection and not the uh, sisters of the resurrection and the life, but we come to the source of the resurrection and the life. Jesus' perspective on the very words that He said. I want to read to you in verse number 25, just a couple verses here. Jesus now in response to Martha, he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ the Son of God, which should come into the world. If you'll skip down on to about verse 41, we'll see a little bit as the conclusion of the story unfolds. And the Bible says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. 
And Jesus lifted up, lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus uh, had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And that he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him. And let him go. Jesus fixes the situation in just three short words. Lazarus come forth. All the grieving and all the sorrow that is present in chapter 11 from these two sisters now changes into a glorious celebration as their brother has been raised from the dead. Isn't it amazing that though our problems may be overwhelming to us and it can be uh, such a difficult time to go through, Jesus can show up and fix it in just three short words. That's what He does for this family. But I think we learn some things about Jesus in this passage that I think are worth noting on a day like today. I think number one, we learn that Jesus is relational. He is relational. He shows up, and in fact, verse number 5 of this chapter says, Now Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Jesus made no bones about the fact that He and Lazarus were friends. Jesus is a friend. And Jesus wants to be your friend. In fact, the book of Proverbs says it like this, There is a friend that sticketh closer than any brother. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you. I think not only do we see He's relational, though, I think we see that He's emotional. So what do you mean, Brother Andrew? I mean that in the story, and this one in particular, there's a few other examples, but this one, we get an insight, a glimpse to the emotions that Jesus felt. He shows up on the scene and he sees the mourning and he sees the, and he sees the grieving and, and there's a lot of disbelief. In fact, there's even people that say, can this man that opens blinded eyes and heals people, couldn't he have just kept him from dying? There's a very accusative tone of many that are present there. There's doubt, there's, there's unbelief, there's mourning and sorrow. And because of all of this thrown into this big pot, Jesus groans in his spirit and weeps over the situation. Now, I do not mean to suggest that Jesus is somehow illogical. I am saying that Jesus is emotional. And that Jesus is burdened by the things that we are burdened with. You know, the Bible says that you can cast all your care upon God, for he careth for your soul. The things that make you sorrow, the things that make you mourn, do the very same thing with God. He feels your hurt, He feels your pain. We see in this passage that Jesus is not some caricature of what maybe Looney Tunes would paint God as, as being this Father way up in the sky, can't be touched with the feelings of our emotions and our affections. We find that Jesus is very relational and very emotional. I think what we find is Jesus is a personal Savior. If I were to ask you how well you knew your wife or how well you knew your husband, 
for you teenagers, how well you knew your iPhone. (laughs) If I were to ask you how well you knew your best friend, how would you prove to me that you knew them? If you ask me how well I knew my wife, I probably wouldn't say, well, you know, she's about 5'6", dark hair, depending on the the hairdresser at the time. (laughs) I wouldn't say that she has a bachelor's degree. I, I wouldn't say that she has an English major, a Spanish minor. I wouldn't say that, you know, she's a good cook. I wouldn't just rattle off a list of things that my wife is. I would describe to you the the wife that I know. I would say things like, you know what, she's very loving. She cares for people. She's a servant. You see the difference? There's statistical knowledge, and then there's relational value. I think where a lot of people are with Jesus is they know every statistic in the book. They know how long He hung on the cross. They know how many days He was in the tomb. They know the fact that He did raise from the dead. They know a lot of stuff about Him, but they do not know Him. Statistical knowledge will never outweigh experiential value, and that's what Christ is for us. Today, He does not invite you to see an empty tomb. He invites you to meet the Savior who vacated that tomb. He invites you to experience the resurrection and the life. And in this statement, I am the resurrection and the life, as well as just a couple statements following, we see some wonderful truths. And look at them with me, if you will, this morning. I want you to see in the first place a statement of declaration I am the resurrection and the life. Found in verse 25, he says, I am. Mary and Martha had sent a messenger to Jesus about uh, about four days prior, or really six days prior, he started his journey. By the time that Jesus shows up, that messenger had been sent and and, uh, now had returned. It's about six days transpires. But what I find interesting is something in Mary and Martha's heart told them that it was worth sending a messenger to to Jesus. We do not know what this sickness is. We do not know how serious it is. We know how serious it became. But at first it may have just been a low-grade fever. It might have been a light cough. We don't know. We don't know how rapidly it progressed. It seems to have occurred quite rapidly over a short period of time. Generally speaking... That probably meant that the, the, uh, the, the fall off the cliff, so to speak, was very abrupt for Lazarus as he went from okay to very sick and eventually dead in the span of a short time. And yet in the middle of that, when the doctors are trying to render aid, they're saying, we don't know what to do. We're kind of out of options here. Mary and Martha finally come to the place where they say, okay, the doctors don't have the answers. Let us send for Jesus. Oh, what a good choice that was too. You got problems? Here's the best thing you can do. Invite Jesus to fight your problems with you. Yet they knew this. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, He's not greeted like the lone ranger coming in to save the day. 
He's not treated by just the statements we read as if he is the hero and he's announced by trumpets. No, no, that's not the picture we get. In fact, look in verse 20, uh, uh, 21, we'll say. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, if you would have just showed up when we, when we brought you, when we called for you, Lord, if you would have just been here. My brother had not died, but I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. Jesus saith unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. And Martha said unto him, Oh, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And it is in this moment, a woman who is emotionally distraught over the loss of her brother. Martha's a fixer. She's a doer. She wants to be active. And she meets Jesus as he's coming down the road. She says, Jesus, if you would have just been here, but I know that you're God and I know that you're powerful and I know all these things. And Jesus says, oh, your brother's going to live again. She says, I know he's going to live again at the resurrection at the last. I know all that, but it doesn't help me in my sorrow right now. And here is what has been burning in my soul over the last three weeks. This woman who is destroyed at the loss of her brother. By the way, we kind of get the sense that he is the younger brother. He's the one that when they went to school, Martha saw bullies picking on Lazarus and Martha went out of her way to take care of the bullies for him. And now his, her brother lies dead. And she says, Lord, if you'd have just been here. The statement that Jesus makes is one of the most powerful in all the Bible. I am the resurrection and the life. But listen, out of context, it's powerful. In context, it's practical. This woman who is broken, who is hurting and grieving, who doesn't have answers and she's just looking for some religious pie in the sky. Hopefully one day everything we believed is going to come true and I'll be able to meet him in heaven. I get all that. And Jesus pulls her out of her sorrow. And what I can imagine is a, a mother placing the hand, uh, their hands on their child's head as they just arrest their attention. Forget all the mourners. Forget all the sorrow. Forget it all. Look at me, Martha. Look at me. Forget the tomb. Forget the rock. Forget the sorrow. Look at me. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. What he is telling this woman is that something deep within your heart six days ago told you I had the answer. Why did you sin for me then if you didn't think I did? Something six days ago, whether it was just that mustard seed kind of faith or whether it was mountain moving kind of faith, something in you said, Jesus can fix my problem. And he looks at her and says, Tell me what's changed since that time. Sure, death's happened. I get it. I am the resurrection and the life. Sure, you're hurting and everybody's mourning. But Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And she's pointing to something way down the line in the future. The resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, I'm not wanting you to go way down the timeline to find hope. You are looking hope in the eye. I am the resurrection and the life. I have no clue what your problem is. 
I have no clue what your burden is today. I have no clue what valleys you may be traversing. But I am telling you right now, there are seven I am statements of the Lord Jesus Christ. And each one, each one of them is unique to the situation at hand. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I, he, he says, I am all these things. You know why? Because Jesus is what you need. Just like Martha, He wants to call your attention into the depths of His eyeballs and say, I am that I am. See, that's ultimately what He's saying. He's reminding her of that burning bush way back in Exodus as Moses, an 80-year-old man, is walking around having wasted his life away, now just shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. The only guy that will employ him is his father-in-law. Things are bad when that's the case. And there he is out in the desert just shepherding. And he looks over and he sees a bush on fire. And he decides to turn aside and see that bush. And when he goes to the bush, the bush speaks to him. Man, that is some weird stuff happening out there on the wilderness. And that bush says, Moses, I am the God of your fathers. The bush introduced himself as I am. And then the bush begins to lay out this plan for Moses. Moses, you're going to go into Egypt and you're going to face Pharaoh and you're going to say, let my people go. I have heard their prayers and I have seen their affliction and I will deliver them and I'm going to choose you to do it. I'm sure Moses is still freaked out and he's probably overwhelmed at the call to the ministry that he's just received. And and he thinks of the problem that I think most of us would think of Okay, Lord, when I show up, do I just tell them that a bush was speaking to me? I don't know they'll buy this. And Moses says, what do I tell them? What do I say? And the bush says, you tell them, I am sent you. He says, I am that I am. That means I exist by myself. You see, in world history, there's always been things that cause other things. It's called the law of cause and reaction. Or you, you cause something and there is a reaction. But you keep tracing that back far enough. If you imagine a line of dominoes, there has to come a domino that started it all. Who pushed the first domino? Furthermore, who lined up the dominoes? You say, Brother Andrew, I don't believe in all this creation stuff. I don't believe that God created the earth. I don't believe there is a, I don't believe there's a supernatural being somewhere. Okay, what's your answer? You say, well, I believe some gases got together and caused a boom. Where'd the gases come from? Well, you say, well, gases just, no, no. Things do not happen without a cause. And God is the uncaused cause of the universe. He is the domino builder and He is the domino and actor. And Jesus in this moment is telling Martha, Martha, I was the one in that bush that spoke to Moses who delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And I am exactly what you need in your situation. I am the resurrection and the life. This not only speaks of the past, the the burning bush, this is a declaration that has some future implications. 
Because in just about a week, Jesus is about to die. You see, you cannot argue that in Jesus' ministry, one of the more profound miracles that he ever performed was this one here in John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus after he'd been dead four days. It is wonderful. But a week later, Jesus will die. And he had promised his disciples that he would be delivered into the hands of sinful men and he would die, but on the third day he would rise again. This miracle is only made more profound by the fact that it is only a foreshadow of what Jesus would do again and on a grander scale next week. Oh, it's impressive that Jesus could call someone out of the grave. It's even more impressive that Jesus could do it for himself. See, why is it so important that I believe that Jesus died and rose again on the third day? Because by Jesus dying and raising again, He lives to have a relationship with you. In fact, the Bible says He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He wants to know us. He is our great high priest. If, if, it's very difficult to know a dead man. It's very difficult to go into a deeper level of understanding with that dead man. But when Jesus rose again, it was a declaration. He was saying that I am God and I am man and in me meet God and man. And he serves as the intermediary between us and our heavenly father. There is no way to the father but through Jesus Christ. A statement of declaration. And I want you to see another wonderful statement and that is a statement of deliverance. He says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Notice what he goes on to say. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. One of the funniest passages in all the Bible to me is in, this particular, uh, in these particular verses, Lazarus is raised from the dead, you know. The very next chapter, the, the chief priests and everybody get together and they're trying to figure out what they're going to do. Jesus has caused a real problem and Lazarus is now an issue. People are like taking touring visits to stop by and see Lazarus, the guy that rose again from the dead. And there's, this is like Magnolia in Bethany. And people are going to see Lazarus like, hey, tell us how it was. Lazarus, well, pretty dead. You know? and, uh, and this is a real problem. So here's what they come together and say. What are we going to do about this Lazarus guy? Well, why don't we just kill him? Think about the irony. What do we do about a guy that died and rose again? We should probably try to do the exact same thing again. This is hilarious. But of course, this resurrection of Lazarus was not permanent. I mean... Eventually, Lazarus dies. If not, he's really good at hiding right now. Lazarus is dead. So what does Jesus mean when he says, Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. This doesn't mean that Lazarus didn't eventually die. So what is Jesus speaking of? And it's interesting to me that Jesus uses the backdrop of a funeral to teach this particular concept. He that uh, believe, liveth and believeth in me shall never die. 
You know what I've noticed in my short ministry? It's that funerals bring out an awareness of man's mortality better than anything else. I don't know why, but we all kind of walk around like we're Superman. Acting as if nothing can faze us. But really, we are frail beings. I mean, all it takes is a drunk driver to pass by us or for one person to be texting and driving. And at no fault of your own, you can be in heaven or hell in one moment of time. And Jesus uses this setting where people are very aware of death to teach this lesson. And the reason for that is the principle of life is only appreciated when contrasted against death. We live as if we are, we are entitled to this. But when you stand at the casket of someone who died, who, in our opinion, too young, you begin to appreciate every single day, every single moment, every single breath. And Jesus here teaches uh, that death is universal. Meaning none of us escape out of this thing alive. The greatest men in world history, and I'm not speaking of morally here, I'm thinking of academically and, and, and just you know, mighty and, and noble men, men like Alexander the Great who can conquer worlds Guess what? They could conquer worlds. They couldn't conquer death. The grim reaper comes for us all. And even though you you may not know a lot about the Bible, you may not know all that it says, you know this, for a man to stand up and say, I will never die, that man is a fool. Because we all die. doesn't matter how much you know about Jesus or the Bible or experience has taught us we all die. And we're all just hoping we make another Easter next year. Death is universal. The Bible puts it like this, it is appointed unto man once to die. Now, God never puts this on your Apple calendar, but you have an appointment with death. You don't get a notification in the morning say, oh, you know what, today's the day. It doesn't happen. It's universal. This is how sad uh, or how feeble our lives are. The Bible puts it like this. What is man's life? It is but a vapor. You know when you're boiling spaghetti and that little steam vapor comes up? It is but a vapor. It appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. We think we're invincible, but we're not. Because death is universal. More than that, death is unnerving. You know what I've noticed? People aren't afraid of particular things. They're afraid of unknown things. My kids, for example, they're not afraid of the dark. The dark has never once hurt them. They're afraid of the boogeyman that lives in the dark. I'm afraid of the Legos left on the floor in the dark. Right? We're not afraid of the dark. We're afraid of the unknown of the dark. You may think you have a lot of world experience, and and you very well may have. You know what area you have no experience in? Death. I can tell. I'm looking at you. So far, you've made it unscathed. You're here this morning. Praise the Lord for that. 
But there is something deep within man that teaches us death is a scary thing because none of us have any experience there. And you know what? We've never seen a Dateline interview of an expert in death. Yep, he's been there and come back. And by the way, if you have seen those interviews, I probably would dismiss them. Don't you hear the guy that says, well, I got to meet God. And he says, I'm not done with you yet. Okay, so God just sent you to the car wreck to figure out, ah, I made that a mistake. Come on, people. God is not up there playing uh, with, with puzzles trying to make this thing work. You see, none of us are experts, and so we are fearful of death. You say, I'm not afraid to die. Well, you better be very sure what happens that very moment you close your eyes in this world and open them up somewhere else. In fact, the Bible speaks of the fear of death. The Bible actually says that the devil... Listen, the devil has the power of death. He uses it as a leveraging tool against us to immobilize us in fear. In fact, it goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What does that mean? It means that we go through life hoping not to get hit by the car. Hoping to avoid the doctor's phone call that says, yep, it's stage four and it's terminal. We hope we can avoid this, but at best we are the ball in the pinball machine hoping to avoid the next catastrophe. And there is great fear in this. But you know what the Bible, I think what Jesus is trying to teach here and what the Bible teaches overall is that when you know Christ, you know someone who has died and rose again. You know someone who's been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and finished the job. He has finished it. And he says, he that believeth in me shall never die. Now, he's not speaking of a physical death. Your body, no doubt, will probably end up in a casket somewhere. He is speaking of a spiritual death and life. See, in this life... You will die someday. And that very moment, the Bible says your soul will then spend your, the rest of eternity in one of two places. You will either spend it in heaven with God, experiencing the joys of eternal life, or you will spend it in a place called hell, which is the second death. And Jesus says, if you'll believe in me, you can have life. You can have life. This is a, a, a statement of deliverance. Jesus promises that He's been there. And Jesus promises that He will give you life. And then the Bible says this, There is no fear in love. Because perfect love casteth out fear. Meaning, God has loved you with a perfect and total love. And because of that, we do not fear death as other people fear death. Because when we die, we don't die, we graduate. When we die, it's not permanent. We take up residency in a place called heaven. For the unbeliever, this is as good as it's going to get. For the believer, it's only getting better from here. We graduate. And this is a statement of deliverance. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And He says in verse 25, He that believeth in Me, though he were dead... Yet shall he live. And notice verse 26. And this is very important. He makes a statement of decision. He says, And whosoever liveth 
and believeth in me shall never die. If you have your Bibles with you, look here at the last three words because it is the most important part of the entire sermon. He asks Martha, this woman who had hosted him in her home many times, this woman who had sat at dinner with him and heard his teaching, this woman who, who no doubt loved him, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you'll believe in me, I will give you life. And he says these three words. It's very important. He asked her this. Believest thou this? Again, what you're about to read is Martha rattling off a bunch of statistical information. It is Martha's confession. Look in verse number 27. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. I believe that thou art the Son of God, which should come into the world. And meaning, I believe you're Messiah. I believe you are the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that declared a Messiah would come. Lord, I believe all that. And yet Jesus is not asking her to rattle off statistics. He is asking her to experience a relationship with Him. And He says, Martha, I know I've sat at your table. Martha, I know you've treated me kindly. Martha, I know you consider me a friend. But do you believe that I give life to those who believe in me? This is a witnessing plan. This is Jesus extending to her and confirming in her her salvation. You see, that's the ultimate goal of every Sunday morning service, every Sunday night service, and every Wednesday night service at Joshua Baptist Church. That people would come into this place and leave knowing that they are saved. Knowing that they have a relationship with Jesus that is not based merely in statistical information or intellectual assent, but it is based in a faith that Jesus Christ is who He said He was, and that Jesus Christ loves with a love that will never fail, and that Jesus Christ promised to take them to heaven forever to live with Him. That is the Christ. That is the knowledge. That is the faith. Not all this jibbity-jabber stuff over here. It is knowing Jesus on an experiential level. Believest thou this? You see, Jesus made exclusive claims throughout His ministry. Jesus, without equivocation, claimed to be God. He says, before your father Abraham was, I am. Again, tying back to that burning bush, but also he's saying, I am eternal God. He says, I and the Father are one. Meaning one in authority. Meaning one in position. I and the Father are one. He claimed to be God. Jesus made exclusive claims. He claimed that He was the only way to heaven. Can you imagine somebody having the audacity to say that? I looked at a list yesterday of the greatest men in world history. You know who number one was on every list? Muhammad. The only excuse for that absolute absurdity is that they didn't put God on the list. Because Jesus did not come as a mere man. He came as the God-man to offer to you and to me our way to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
C.S. Lewis, a wonderful Christian author of days gone by, he said, if you read the Gospels and you hear all the claims of Jesus, you will have to come out with one of three conclusions. He was either a flat-out liar, he was an absolute lunatic, or he was who he said he was, meaning he is Lord. Believest thou this? The exclusive claims of Christ. Don't come to Jesus as if now you're just going to put Him in the vehicle to a life that's already full of stuff. You don't add Jesus to your life. Jesus is the life. He makes exclusive exclusive claims, but He makes very inclusive claims. Because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. When accused of being seated with sinners and publicans and eating with them, uh, you know what his answer to that was? He says, they that be whole need not a physician. They that be sick. You know what he's saying? I came to sick people. I came to hurting people. I came to sinners. He says, "I, I came to call the sinners to repentance. This morning you may be sitting in this room and you say, I'm not good enough to be saved. Friend, you are exactly the kind of person that Jesus Christ came to sit with. You say, I'm too good to go to heaven that way. Just by you saying that, you're proving exactly how bad you are. Jesus doesn't accept good people. Jesus accepts broken people. Sinful people who realize that if they were to stand at the gates of heaven today and their good works were truly to uh, be weighed against their bad works, there would be no comparison. Their bad works would outweigh them by far. That's the people that come to Jesus. Broken. This situation and circumstance of a funeral being the backdrop of it, I know many of you have probably said at funerals of People that maybe I remember not long ago sitting at the funeral of a beautiful little, probably I'd say nine-year-old girl. I have personally buried my daughter. I have been to funerals and it says it just seems so unfair that someone who wasn't done yet living had to die. And, and there is a sense in the back of all of our minds that suggests that the greatest tragedy of this life is to die. Friend, the greatest tragedy of this life is to die without Christ. To die not knowing that you'd spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ. That's the greatest tragedy. In just a moment, we're going to bow our heads and pray. We, we, we do it, it's called an invitation. But, but I want you to understand what's about to happen. I, am, I don't want you to think that the service is changing in tone. See, everybody's already putting their stuff up. Everybody's already putting pins in their pocket, closing Bibles. Listen to me, look at me. We're, we're done, but just be with me until we're done. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And the question that I will extend at that moment is the very one that Jesus extended to Martha. Believest thou this? Jesus made an exclusive claim here. I am the resurrection and the life. There is no way to God but through Jesus. 
Your sins have put you in a place so far from God, you could never redeem yourself. So Jesus came and lived a sinless life, died on the cross of Calvary, so that you could have your sins placed upon Him, and His obedience to God placed upon you. And in that moment, He died for you, the unjust uh, uh, being saved, and the just being crucified. And on the third day, He rose again to prove that He lives forever, so that you could spend eternity in a place called heaven with Him. And the question is very simple. Believest thou this? The question, listen, listen, I I want you to get this. The question is not, how long have you been in church? The question is not, how much good did you do last week? The question is not whether or not your kids admire you or your husband loves you. That is not the question. The question is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross at Calvary, who rose again on the third day, who gives eternal life to those that that will, will trust Him and accept Him in faith? Believest thou this? It doesn't matter how long you've been in church, how good you are, how short your hair is, how clean you are. It does not matter. The question is, believest thou this? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe it?